When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. This podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. Are we not the bestest of friends already? Only in media. Hello, everybody. This is Mark Zimmerman. Uh, we have a special stargazing today. We're going to take a break from this exciting NHL playoff series, and uh, we're going to do a little talking about the AHL, where we have the Texas Stars and uh, what is hopefully a deep Calder Cup run. Joining me today, we have Stephen Meserve, who is, of course, 100-degree hockey and go-to guy when you want to talk Texas Stars. How are you doing, Stephen? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Mark. I'm good. It's, uh, it's been a really interesting and fun season down here in Cedar Park, and uh, the Texas Stars locked up the Central Division on the second-to-last game of the season and uh, looking forward to a deep playoff run. So it's a good time to, to be chatting about what we hope is something that goes all the way into June. Well, and before we get into too much of the detail here, let's talk a little bit about what happens with the AHL playoffs, because the AHL does some some rather odd things in setting their their brackets, if you will. Um, any comments on that? Yeah. So the thing you have to remember about the AHL for fans who you know may not pay attention to it uh, all year is that the main thing that the AHL is trying to do is turn players into NHL players, right? And so one of the most important things about that is getting into those high pressure situations like the playoffs where the points really matter, the games really matter. Um, And so what they did uh, coming out of the COVID year actually is they shifted to a format where 23 teams out of the 32 in the league make the playoffs. And I put make in air quotes because they have similar to the NBA instituted a play-in structure. So depending on the division, not every division has the same number of teams, but depending on division, anywhere between five and seven teams make the playoffs. And then there are play-in rounds based on the number of teams in each division to determine who gets to move on to what is technically the first round of the playoffs. So for example, in Texas's division, which has seven teams, one through three made the playoffs and they get a buy into the first round. But the fourth and fifth place team this year, Rockford and Iowa, played a quick three-game play-in series, best of three, to determine who got the right to play the Central Division champion, the Texas Stars, in the first round. So again, it gets as many players and teams as you can into the playoffs, into those hard games, the ability to play just a little bit next level. Right. And uh, for example, in the Pacific Division, there are 10 teams. Mark, you know about this. There are 10 teams. Seven of them make the playoffs. So it's, it's a pretty crazy setup. But again, important to get players playing playoff games. Yeah. In fact, I, I went to a Coachella Valley Tucson game uh, last week. And uh, it, what's interesting is they do it. They do have a play in round. But uh, eight of the eight teams who were home. And uh, here, all the games are played at the highest seeds arena. So all eight of those teams that were favored ended up winning. So uh, there is some experience there, but it's it's pretty lopsided. Yeah, it's it's an interesting 
it's an interesting setup. And last year was the first year that they did this. And I personally, I thought it was going to be like a one-two setup or something like that. Um, because, you know, you got to have at least one home game in each arena. But because it's a quick play-in series, they did it basically all in the course of four or five days. There's no travel. So you play it all, like you said, in the in the home team's arena. Um, Rockford, uh, you know, beat, beat Iowa two to zero. Uh, and moved on to the next round to play Texas. And so Texas was in that place last year, actually got beat by Rockford. So they got to say that they made the playoffs, but they only actually ended up playing two playoff games on the road. Texas Stars fans didn't get any home playoff games to cheer uh, for here at the Cedar Park Center, the HEB Center at Cedar Park. And uh, this year they will get that opportunity, but because of that playoff format, which again, another thing to mention, the AHL does not play seven-game series in every round. There's a play-in series, which is three games, and then rounds one and two are best of five. And if you're not close enough to your opponent, they generally say it's about 300 miles of distance between you and your opponent, you have to start on the road if you're the higher seed. You play two games in the lower seeds arena, and then you come home for three. So Texas, because they're entirely on an island in the AHL, if they are the best team in the league, no matter what, they're always going to start on the road in a best of five series because they're just out there on an island in Texas, the only AHL team in Texas. Um, but then once you get to the conference finals and the Calder Cup final, it is a best of seven with a 2-3-2 format for Texas. Yeah, and, and here, as you mentioned, the uh, the Stars did play Rockford last year, and they're likely to pace, face the same goaltender who gave up one goal in two matches, if I remember right, uh, uh, Arvid Soderblom was uh, was pretty outstanding and sent Texas home not very happy. Yeah, it wasn't a uh, it was an interesting showing, right? Texas had a great goaltender as well. There was actually kind of a goalie duel, um, if you'll remember. That was the the first appearance of Matt Murray on the scene. He came in as an amateur tryout out of college, um, and then of course later signed to a two year contract, two year AHL contract, then eventually an NHL contract in the middle of this past season. But that was his first set of games. And he, I mean, the fact that they played any playoff games at all last year, you could put squarely on the shoulders of Matt Murray um, because they were kind of floundering in net. They didn't know exactly what they were doing. He came in, I believe he played the last 12 games. He started the last 12 games and took them from right on the bubble to making it on the last day of the season. So without his play, his outstanding play, I don't think they would. They, there's no way they would have made it. Um, and so he this this time uh, is still in net uh, for Texas. And I think he's going to be your starter moving in into the playoffs here. So it is a good, interesting bit of storyline that they played each other. And another bit of storyline for you is the Rockford Ice Hogs. They're a far away team. They are the Chicago Blackhawks affiliate, by the way, for fans who don't know that. And Texas has had to play them five out of the nine times that they've made the playoffs in team history. So. The road to whatever comes next often goes through Rockford, Illinois for the Texas Stars. Well, and let's talk a little bit more about some of the other interesting things here, for instance. So so Texas, which is deep in their NHL player um, playoff run here, is running with what they have from the Texas Stars and, and actually has lost Thomas Harley up to the NHL club. But then you have a team like Rockford where Chicago hasn't been in the in the playoff hunt in, in quite some time. And so they're able to bring all of their AHL eligible players down from the NHL to uh, to participate in the playoffs. Yeah, this is a really tough part about being an AHL team, um, because obviously the main purpose of an AHL team in today's 
AHL is to help create NHL players who win Stanley Cups for their NHL team. And that means, like we saw this past week, Riley Tufty got recalled. Now, it doesn't matter as much because right now Texas isn't playing games. But let's say Riley Tufty still needs to be in Dallas once the games start for the Texas Stars here on the 28th. Well, Riley Tufty, even though he is the 13th, 14th forward in Dallas, is a key cog at, on you know, but the bottom six here in Texas. He had, um, I was saying, he... If not for Rhett Gardner, he would have set the forward record for best plus minus. He is the first guy out there on the penalty kill with Rhett Gardner and Gardner and Tufty together with whoever you slot in on the third, third slot, whether that's Olofsson, whether that's Nick Camano, they're going to be a positive puck possession group. So that's a big loss for the Texas Stars. And so you compare that against some of the other teams in the division. Uh, as you mentioned, Rockford, Chicago sent down a lot of guys and even loaded up a little bit. Some of the some of the teams, Rocco Grimaldi, who has been a stars killer throughout his career, is now with the Rockford Ice Hogs. And you know, he won their their play in round game uh, with an overtime goal. And I think I was talking to some of the media guys here just like, man, the Texas Stars are going to hate to see Rocco Grimaldi, but he might be with the Chicago Blackhawks if they were in the playoffs. And same thing would be true if Texas gets through Rockford. They might face Milwaukee, which Milwaukee is the uh, feeder team for the Nashville Predators, who also didn't make the playoffs, but almost did make the playoffs because of some of the guys who later got sent down. Luke Evangelista, Phil Tomasino, those guys are now going to be part of this Milwaukee Admirals team that scraped and clawed to get into get to the second seat that they have. They're going to be even more powerful because Nashville didn't make the playoffs. And that's a really tough spot about being in the AHL, but it's... If you, if you bring this up to any coach, I, I could I could lay that complaint at Neil Graham's feet, the head coach of the Texas Stars, and he would say, you know, we're going to play the card that's that are dealt to us. Um, so they know it. They're not going to complain about it, but fans and uh, and such, we can complain about it, right? Right, exactly. And and you know, I, I don't remember the details of this, but I seem to recall that with uh, with Nashville and Milwaukee, that that Nashville had an inordinate number of. AHL slash NHL guys. So they ended up sending seven, I think the number was guys down. And so they're, it, it's a completely different team than, than you would have expected to see during the regular season. Yeah, exactly. Just pulling it up right now on the, the AHL website, um, guys like Phil Tomasino, Kiefer Sherwood, um, Mark Jankowski. Um, these are guys, Luke Evangelista, these are guys who, you know, they obviously help make a difference in Nashville, but they are huge difference makers for Milwaukee. And Milwaukee is a team that is it was good scraping and clawing together an ECHL PTO here and, you know, AHL depth guy there. You know, Ty Feliber, actually, a former Texas star, uh, formerly on a Dallas contract, helped them make the playoffs, right? He got released from his PTO, his thanks, uh, uh, heading back to the ECHL. But the Nashville... Missing the playoffs is something that helps them helps the Milwaukee Admirals. And you look at the years when Texas went deep, 2009-2010, Dallas didn't make the playoffs. 13-14, that was the year Texas got bounced by Anaheim in the first round in Game 6. And uh, Dustin Jeffrey and Chris Mueller got assigned down to them. And that was part of a dynamic second line that helped propel them all the way through the playoffs. Those teams, you don't often see teams going deep at both the NHL and AHL level um, because of that black ace effect. And so it's going to be interesting to see with Texas, Dallas, and Idaho all being good, how is the knock-on effect going to happen down the roster? And obviously, Dallas fans would say, and I think 
Tom Gallardi would say, if we win a Stanley Cup, nothing else matters, right? But if you're going to fall just short, you know, how, how, how deep do you want to go? Hopefully you could try to go as deep as you can on the AHL side. It's just, it's a complicated dance for, for the organization. Yeah. And it'll be kind of interesting because the, the second and third seed, you know, you throw in Manitoba playing Milwaukee right up front and Manitoba is a strong team already. And that's Winnipeg's affiliate. And Winnipeg is certainly not favored to make it out of the first round in the AHL. So there's a potential that they could load up by the time they, if they potentially beat Milwaukee. Exactly. So again, the, it, it's part of the gauntlet that's out there. And the, uh, the dream scenario was uh, something along the lines of Iowa making it out of the playoff play-in round, and then Texas would be playing the Iowa Wild, Dallas would be playing the Minnesota Wild, and then Dallas and Texas somehow managed to eliminate both teams at the same time, and so there's no effect of any of this. But obviously, that didn't happen with Rockford making it out of the play-in. So now we have to deal the cards that have been dealt. Yep. Well, and such is life. Well, let, let's let's talk a little more specific about Texas itself. And uh, let's start at the back end. You already mentioned Matt Murray and his great run at the end of last year. And now he's taken over the number one slot in net for Texas for the entire year. And then we, we've also seen the emergence of Remy Poirier as the uh, as the second goaltender in in Texas after he had such an incredible start with Idaho in the ECHL. So Texas has good goaltenders, but it it seems to me that most of the time when you're talking about the AHL playoffs and the run to the Keller Cup, you usually have a setup where you have a veteran and and that veteran's paired with a with, with a excellent prospect as, as the tandem in net and Dallas doesn't or, or Texas doesn't seem to have that they don't I mean everybody under the NHL level is very green very green right um Scott Wedgwood is the is the only player I think you could call a veteran really anywhere in the in the Dallas system I mean Jake Ottinger is still pretty new on the scene relatively um and Remy Poirier and Matt Murray uh both uh, either you know rookies or uh actually that they're both qualified as rookies this year in the AHL Matt Murray got started with a handful of games at the end of last year it's an interesting change you know one of the things that I think is has changed that and made teams more comfortable with going with two younger players is the focus that the league overall individual teams have put on putting more development resources in the AHL you look at uh 10 years ago when when this 15 years ago when this team started they had two coaches there was Glenn Gullitson and Paul Girard, and that was it. There were no goalie coaches, no video coaches, nothing. And now this team has five coaches, uh, including a full-time goalie coach, Ryan Daniels. And so the fact that you're not looking to a guy like Mike McKenna, like Christopher Nielstorp, to be a de facto goalie coach for you know a Landon Bow or a Jack Campbell gives a little bit more leeway for these guys to be the ones that you look at and say like, Matt, I feel comfortable with you having the net here because we've got Ryan Daniels, who's going to break down, you know, shooter tendencies and help you work on different things every day in practice, as opposed to, you know, Mike Valley having to concentrate on helping Kari Lettinen win games for the Dallas Stars and every once in a while, maybe having an opportunity to fly down to Cedar Park or drive down to Cedar Park for a day or two. That has changed the mindset. I believe, of the way the Texas Stars and teams all across the league approach their goalie tandems. So you're not going to see as many of those veteran pairing type of duos anymore. And, you know, 
Texas could be pretty happy with with what they've got from Matt Murray. He was, I believe, the number four goaltender in the league uh, this year in terms of goals against average. I think he probably should have garnered some votes for for rookie goaltender, the all rookie team. Um, I hope he did. They don't release the whole ballot like they do in the NHL with the uh, Professional Hockey Writers Association. But you know, I, I think he he definitely garnered some votes. If we could have voted for him, we would have. We can't because we're he's a Texas star. But uh, I think they're really in a good spot in net with Matt Murray. He feels seems like he's confident and and, and calm with with the whole situation. And, and again, as I, the last time I think uh, was was McKenna the one who was in net for the last big run. That's right. It was McKenna. And he this this was the savior scenario, right? Because Landon Bow just didn't didn't do it, couldn't couldn't get it uh, over the hump, and um, they were down in the series against the Ontario. It's against Rain. Ontario. I was I was actually at the game where he got pulled, and, and, Mc- and McKenna and McKenna goes into overtime and just stands on his head. I believe double overtime. It was yes. he, the back-to-back performances. He had he went into double overtime to win that game with Texas, and then the next one he either had a shutout or allowed one goal. It was one of the best back-to-back goalie performances that that the Texas Stars have seen because uh, he just it was lights lights out. It was an incredible save percentage. Can't remember it off the top of my head, but he had something like forty sh- forty uh, shots, forty saves in each game, um, and it was it was pretty impressive. Um, and then at that point, Landon. Bo had lost the net and Mike McKenna just wrote it all the way to game seven against Toronto. So it's an interesting situation. You don't have that savior here, right? Um, no, nobody is there. Who's going to jump in. You're going to have to go to another guy who's just as green Remy Poirier. If Matt Murray has an injury or, or, you know, isn't the hot hand. Um, so it's definitely an interesting challenge for, for the team, but they feel really comfortable with, with what they've got set up, especially with the defense in front of the goalies that has been really solid all year. Yeah. I think, they build these teams from the net on out, and and Matt Murray got a, a Dallas contract for a reason uh, after coming in on an ATO, and so they feel real confident with him. Yeah, and on the other side, and here, correct me if I'm wrong, we we very well could have the veteran backup from Rockford being uh, Anton Hudobin. It is entirely possible. I don't know how likely it is. It is entirely possible. It's very weird. I was looking for pictures to use on the uh, post about the you know being. Uh, paired up against Rockford in the first round and it was uh you know Dylan Wells who is now a Texas star actually he's a Dallas star at this particular moment is yep. a third goaltender um but it's Dylan Wells being shot on by Jacob Peterson neither of whom are in the right jersey anymore Jacob Peterson in San Jose Dylan Wells mm-hmm. now with Texas or somebody shooting on Anton Hudobin who was wearing a Texas jersey at the time so it, there was a lot of movement there um but I I think that uh I think it certainly would be interesting and a heck of a storyline if he ends up playing any games or setting the bench at all uh, for Rockford. Um, but I, I think that uh, I think that Texas has its goalie duo set um, and, you know, they'll they'll bring in their local guy. I don't know if it's still Sideburns or whoever to, to do third they, the guy they nicknamed Sideburns um, to do the third the third goalie thing on, on off days uh, for for the Texas Stars. But they feel really confident with what they've got. Well, good. Let's let's take a little break here. Uh, hear from our sponsors, the Green Team. You know, Mark, people get hurt from car accidents, medical malpractice, and other personal injury accidents, but they never call an attorney. They leave thousands of dollars in medical bills and lost wages on the table that could otherwise be covered, and instead, just take the insurance company's word. This is silly when you could just call Robert Greening at Greening Law. Greening and his green team are fierce legal competitors for you against the insurance companies. Consultations are free, so you have nothing to lose. And there are no hourly attorney fees either. They only get paid if you recover. Right? 
These folks definitely need to call Robert Greening and the Green Team. Sure do. So remember, if you've been hurt in an accident, been a victim of medical malpractice, or have been hurt on a business's premises, call the Green Team at Greening Law in Dallas, Texas at 972-934-8900 now. They will fight your legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. Greening Law, Office Dallas, Texas. Okay, coming back, uh, let's let's move away from the net a little bit and let's talk about the impact of uh, of losing Thomas Harley for the defense. Yeah, Harley, I mean, this was the plan, right? At some point, the Texas Stars knew they were going to lose Thomas Harley. It comes at a very heartbreaking time to have him basically all year and then lose him just before you go into the playoff run. But he was a steady pairing with Will Butcher, a guy who's on a Dallas contract, one of those veteran guys, helping to just continue to refine his game. They played the last few games of the season without Harley. The good news is they have a really solid seventh guy who just is stepping right into the lineup in Michael Caro. Um, he played a decent number of games this year, rotating into the lineup with Oscari Loxanen, um, who was the trade pickup from uh, moving Joe Ciccone to the Buffalo organization where he played in Rochester for most of the year. And um, that, you know, they, they've got a good set. But the question is, what comes like what's seven and eight now? So right now you've got Shea and Petrovic. That's a really great pairing. Gleason and Caro are paired up, and then Laxanen and Butcher. But then seven could be Dawson Bartow. You've got Artem Grushnikov also, who played a game here at the end of the season, is now here in an ATO as he prepares to join the professional ranks full-time moving forward. Um, so there's a question of what happens if one of those guys goes down, because um, Harley ain't coming back. Um, as you guys know, he's yeah. having a, an incredible, uh, you know, postseason jump in into the NHL ranks, and I mean, he's never coming back at this point unless it's a training camp, right? So, so that's that. But that's what you want. That's how they designed the season. They wanted him at some point to make the jump and make them never send him back. Um, that's the whole point. And so, obviously, happy that he's there and he's he made the jump. But uh, I don't think it puts a huge bruise in the D necessarily, although you'd much rather have him than not if you're the Texas Stars. Yeah, and, you know, Bartow's done with Idaho, so uh, so you have Grishnikov, and then what, I, I think I heard a rumor from you that uh, that Jared Rosberg's actually back skating. That is that is true. Uh, more than a rumor, you know, I saw him in the no-contact jersey on the, on the ice. So he had a shoulder injury earlier on the season and was originally slated to be out for the season, you know, every talking to everybody, he was doing color for the, for the team, uh, at home games because it was just, he was done. He was shut down, but his, his recovery has progressed faster than expected, which is good. And he has been skating with the team for a little while here. He was still red, um, you know, no contact Jersey, but you know, they go deep. You could, and you know, it's the playoffs. You could have a guy go down and you could push Jared Rosberg into service. It's possible. He adds a physical edge that can be really useful in the playoffs. And, you know, if they have the opportunity, maybe they go, they could also maybe go 11-7. They don't tend to like to do that because they like to roll four lines, much like Dallas likes to roll four lines. But, you know, he, he could be an option as the playoffs roll on, which is really exciting uh, for the Dallas, his future with the Dallas Stars and the Texas Stars and his development, because the last thing you want is to write off a season, um, which obviously is is just terrible. He would have recovered just as the playoffs were over or something like that and, and not had the opportunity to jump into this playoff run. So it's great for his development, for him to be right at the cusp of maybe being that seventh guy who could jump in. Well, and it's nice because you have a seven, eight there that, that are at least skating. And, and to tell you the truth, Rosberg's game, uh, 
if he's spending a little time with Grishnikov, I have absolutely no problem with that. The Rosberg has a lot to share there, I think. Yeah, I mean, really, the whole defensive core has a ton to share. You know, they have done really great things. You know, I looked at the numbers and and talked to some folks who have Instat access and the incredible work that the Shea-Petrovic pairing has put together, Ryan Shea and Alex Petrovic, they smashed the plus-minus number, which again, plus-minus, you know, if you're going for fancy stats, it's not the greatest stat, but you don't get a plus-37 rating with sheltered minutes and offensive zone starts, right? Ryan Shea, who earned that plus-37, and Petro, who had a plus-34, those guys got the toughest minutes on this team. They were your shutdown pairing, first guys on the penalty kill, all those things. And they also both damn near had best offensive years of their careers. So they were doing all those things right. And they, I think, are huge difference makers at five on five. And if Artem Grushnikov picks up anything from those guys, I mean, that's the reason why he's here, right? He's here to soak up like a sponge, even if he doesn't play a single minute in the Calder Cup playoffs, so that when he hits the ground running in October, he is that much better of a player. And the interesting thing I think about, well, this works for both the defense and the offense. Uh, you, you talk about the penalty kill and and eating hard minutes. This is a team that doesn't particularly specialize at that. If you're if you're in the lineup, you're getting your special teams time. I mean, it's, you talk about, you know, Ben Gleason is is what most people would consider to be a, a offensive specialist, but he's out there on the PK. Yeah, you would think a Ben Gleason would not play a single PK minute, right? But he does. He plays. Everybody does. It's it's a everyone plays uh, type of situation. And there are a lot of forwards also who play uh, on the PK. And they've done really well this year in terms of shorthanded chances and, and the power kill, if you want to be silly about it, where they're, you know, Tufty and Gardner, again, to bring it back to those guys, have a, a decent number of shorthanded goals this year, just because they're out there, you know, doing the work and, and pushing the play and you know, stopping guys up in the neutral zone and pushing it back the other direction. It's, it's been really good to watch. And, and that's such an interesting story because Max Fortunis runs the penalty kill and they've been, you know, cruising top five in the league pretty much most of the season. Um, and that's been a huge part of, you know, they don't get penalized a whole lot. They, they're, Texas has never been a very pugilistic team. Uh, generally, in the, co- the course of their entire history, they also have not been heavily penalized with minors this year either. But when they do take a minor penalty, it's very hard to score against them. They're a top five team on the PK. So it, that's going to be a big strength of theirs going, heading into the playoffs. Yeah, and I think that that's actually one of the things that the team missed about having Rosberg out because Rosberg was one of one of the handful of guys who would uh, who would get under the other team and and, and back it up, and, and so some of that went away I think with, uh, with with this team, and so if he's around, that adds in another element that people haven't seen in this team since the beginning of the year. Yeah, definitely. I, I think. Getting him back will be will be a big lift if they can do it. But again, you never know with the rust and maybe yeah. maybe the shoulder isn't where it needs to be. Uh, again, the no contact. Once you get contact, that is a shoulder situation, right? It checks are shoulder intensive. So yeah. I got to see that's how that what he feels. does, <laughs> and that's what he does, right? So how how does that shoulder feel as he rolls through um, 
actually getting into contact situations. But they've been rolling him in, in practice this week. The team plays on Thursday. Their getaway day will be Wednesday. But they basically, talking to Neil Graham last week, they basically ran a mini camp. You know, they, they've been going to systems, going really hard on that, especially because most of that week, they didn't even know who their opponent was. So they were going straight, you know, we're going to worry about what we, we can worry about. And then once we know our opponent, on Sunday, we'll start sprinkling in a little bit of video work and, and tiny little system tweaks for who we're playing against. But they they basically ran a mini camp over last week to make sure that they were ready to to enter the second season. Okay, on on defense, uh, on defense, who's really surprised you out of this group? Because there there there's certain veterans out there, but there's there's some rookies there as well, and we we hadn't seen uh, Laxonen before this year, and then Michael Caro is uh, is new. Um, well, I mean, I mean, he played last year, but he's still considered a rookie. Um, has anybody really stood out to you? Yeah, I mean, there, there's two, maybe two answers here, right? So as far as like Dallas future guys, I, I know I've already talked about it. I did not expect this season from Ryan Shea. I thought Ryan Shea, you know, is good offensive defenseman. You know, he can, he can do, do those things. But this level, I did not expect this level from him. Huge surprise for me. I think that was a that was a big a big pickup, um, you know, in his in his play year over year, um, and I think this puts him, you know, in conversation to be next man up uh, in next year, right? I, you know, we don't know what the situation will be like with Dallas, and they've been really relatively healthy this entire season, and you know, you always hope that that continues for all the all the players' sake. But if not for the health of the team, he I think would have earned a call up with his play this year. Um, you know, but Harley had that first call and, and you're rotating scratches with with Lundqvist and, and Hanley. And so you ended up in a situation where he didn't get an opportunity to come up. But I think he deserves it. A cup of coffee would have been earned if there was any space for him whatsoever. But unfortunately, there wasn't. Yeah. And I mean, you certainly going into the season would have expected to see Will Butcher see a little bit of NHL time this year as well. Absolutely. And And he's, you know. Uh, he he was the leading defenseman in terms of points on the Texas Stars, 43 points in 65 games. Yeah, I, I was surprised he came down in the first place, almost. I mean, somebody had to go, but, you know, having a player of his caliber, he's just veteran savvy. You know, he's always in the right place. And having a player like him be Harley's partner for most of the year was a huge part of what made him ready to jump right into the series against Minnesota after uh, you know a full year in the AHL. Um, as far as surprises, I mean, you asked about surprises. I, I, I'd say that was my most surprising thing. I, Michael Caro is a guy who's a, a seven, seven, eight defenseman in in the AHL. Um, you know, he, I think, does a good job of jumping into the lineup. You always need guys like that who can jump into the lineup where they haven't been playing in a few games. Um, and those, that's an important. At, roster aspect for an NHL team just the same as it is for an AHL team. Um but I'd say for for sure the the shape Petrovic pairing has been such a a just amazing jump over their play even from last season that I think that that is by far and away my my blue line surprise for the year. Yeah, and you hear you hear a little uh, bit of commentary from from Petrovic as well about how how he's listening to Shay and Shay's teaching him some things on the uh, on what he can do offensively that that is turned him into a more dynamic player isn't that strange it's very interesting Shay uh Shay taught Petrovic some stuff about you know when do I jump into the play when's it a good time to pinch here how do I 
Um, outlet passes were a big thing that he worked on. Uh, he learned from Shea. And then, you know, Petrovic, being a good defensive defenseman primarily, has taught Shea things about defensive positioning and gap control and all those things that a defensive defenseman would concentrate on. It's been an ideal pairing, and that's really what you want in the AHL. I agree. Now, where, where would you rate the, the Texas Stars defense going into the playoffs here? Um, you know, just, just in, in, in relation to the rest of the league, are, are they one of the top units out there, middle of the pack? What, what, what are your general thoughts? I mean, I'd like to say they are one of the top units out there. They have, you know, they're in top 10 in, in goals against, like as a group, right? But the one wild card is how does this group perform in the playoffs without a guy like Harley? I mean, we talked about it already, and and that he is a an important part of what made them successful this year, uh, with the development of his play. So it'll be interesting to see how this group performs. But I 100% believe that this is one of the top defensive groups in the league. The question is, how does it perform without Harley? Yeah, and I you know in watching there was a there, there was a little stretch there after Harley went up where it looked like the team was a bit lost as far as their zone exits and their transition game because they depend heavily on on, on Harley to do that. Yeah, he and, would, right? Because right. he's very good at it. Right, exactly. And and so much of what Texas brings to the table offensively is based on that kind of play. You know, they're they're a good possession team, but they score a lot by just being quick up the ice and and coming forward with skill and with a lot of with a lot of firepower. Yeah, absolutely. It's a good skating team for sure. And um, it, Michael Caro is great. He's not Thomas Hartley. Uh, yeah. And so that that just changes the dynamic of things. And I think he um, it's it's good to see him up. Uh, I know he's been, you know, working on it for several years and he's had kind of a weird development curve with the COVID year with no o- no OHL development that year. So it changes the complexion of it a little bit, but next man up type philosophy for, for the Texas Stars. And that's just the way you have to roll in the AHL. Yeah. And, and it looks like he and Gleason have kind of settled in as a as, as a solid pair. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and that that kind of it, it makes it a little interesting seeing uh, Laxonin with Butcher. Uh, first of all, Butcher, middle of the season, he's finally going back to to the proper side. But it's it, you know, Laxonin's not so much a skater as he is a shooter. Is, is that not right? Well, he's you know he hasn't been yeah as much of a as much of a, a shot right. Um, he took him a while to kind of get get that part of his game developed and 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 rolling here in Texas. I mean, it's kind of tough. Laxonin has I'm almost I'm almost having trouble figuring out exactly what his game is because for a while it seemed like he was a real like shut down defensive guy and then he had a bunch of really great offensive games and so you know it might be they're just trying to figure out where to where to get him into the lineup and i think you know being on butcher's um being on butcher's side on, on his pairing is going to be good for for any young player and there's a reason why you know he was sent out in a one-for-one trade with Sacconi out of out of Buffalo. It wasn't working for him there, and you hope it's one of those uh, change of scenery type of trades where you get uh, you know both both teams have an opportunity to get a player who can develop a little bit more. Yeah, and here I, I remember when the trade first happened, I went and searched around uh, some of the Buffalo sites about what uh, what to expect, and they they were they were kind of laughing, saying, "Yeah, good luck getting getting to play defense." Uh, so may, maybe maybe he he heard a little bit about it then and decided that he was going to show that he had some defensive shops. Yeah, you know when you try to come in and uh, you know I know 
when I've changed jobs or whatever, you you have your whatever haunted you at the last job or the last piece of constructive feedback that you received. You try and correct that at the next place or in your next role or whatever it might be. Um, you know, hockey players are, are just people at the end of the day. So you're trying to trying to just improve every step of the way. All right, let's uh, let, let's move to the to the forwards. Finally, here we we've spent a little time talking about Gardner and Tufty, which uh, you know is is in my in my memory is probably the best fourth line I remember seeing ever. Um, I would agree because they agree. they they were they were dominant, uh, and and they they I I in essence by the end of the season considered them the top line. Uh, they they were the ones who were going to produce the most. Yeah, absolutely. They, uh, you know, it's funny because Coach Graham calls them the fourth line, but I mean, that label doesn't make a ton of sense. Like, yeah, they're the fourth line in air quotes, but really they're going to get put in all the most difficult situations. They end up scoring a ton as, you know, as a result of their ability to turn defensive situations into offensive situations. Um, Lots of positive possession numbers there. Rick Gardner is one of the best uh, players on the dot in the entire league. Um, when you look at the league in stat numbers, uh, his ability on the dot was, you know, un- unquestionable. He was the kind of guy that you put him out on the penalty kill or an important an important draw, and you know maybe he just came off, but you put him out there to win the, win the draw, and then he goes right to the bench. He's he's that kind of difference maker on the dot, and that I think has been a huge part of their success as well as. You know, it's great, easy to play with the puck if you never give the puck to the other side by winning it right from the draw. So did you know, we, we've seen Tufty have a have a little cup of coffee um, and he, I, I think he probably came back with a few things to work on. We, we've seen Gardner up at the H- NHL before. Um, he didn't get a chance to do it this year. Um, what, what do you think about their games and any ability that they have moving forward to make an impact uh, with, with the NHL team? Honestly, I, I think you look at the roster at the end of the year and you start to look at some of the guys who are in those bottom six roles, you know, a guy like a Luke Gillen Denning or you all Kiviranta, and you start to make trade off decisions. Can I do I want to re-sign Luke Glenn Denning for one point five million or maybe a little bit more? Or do I think I can get away with giving Rhett Gardner nine hundred thousand? Okay, well now I've just created half a million dollars worth of cap room that I can use elsewhere. And that's the point of having those homegrown talents. Um, I think that that's, that's probably going to be what, what they're able to do with those players coming in up in this summer. Uh, I, I think either one of them could probably start slotting into an NHL roster. But one thing to think about is the, because they're both college players, they're a little older. They're both unrestricted free agents this summer. So they have big playoff runs for Texas and Dallas might not be the only one calling them, uh, trying to figure out if their talents can be used at the NHL level. So an interesting dynamic, definitely, for the roster construction for next year, especially as you try to figure out how do you get, you know, just extra incremental pieces of cap so that you can use them and weaponize them throughout the year. Yeah, it's been it's been interesting having conversations with with people about Tufty this year because the development that I saw with Tufty down at the AHL level was was pretty extreme. I mean, the the confidence and his his, his willingness to use the body without without losing some of the skill that's associated with him. Uh, I, I I thought he made great strides. 
but then he couldn't really translate that in the game or two that he got up at the NHL. And so I think he probably came back with a bit of, uh, okay, I need to, I need to be able to do the same thing, but I need to be able to do it against bigger and faster guys. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think you go into training camp next year. I, I think he'll be one of those guys to watch a bubble guy. Um, again, We'll come back to this over the summer, I'm sure. We'll be talking about Logan Stankov and all these other other guys, you know, who might be ready to make a push. But I think you're always going to need guys who are defensively responsible. You don't get the opportunities in the NHL to always be in the top six. You got to be able to get started in the bottom six, even if your eventual path might be in the top six. Uh, if you're coming up from the AHL level, and Tufty has put in the work at the AHL level to improve his game, and I think he's earned the opportunity to be part of that conversation when uh, you know when training camp comes. Well, I guess the question the Dallas Stars fans are going to have is, uh, out of this Texas team, what do we have that's out there? Um, who who's going to be ready to be something other than a bottom three guy? It's a good question because over the course of of texas stars history there have been a lot of bottom six kind of guys right that that the texas stars have developed and you look at the roster this year a lot of the guys who are doing a lot of the scoring and being big contributors are probably not guys who are long-term nhl guys riley barber curtis mckenzie here on a return contract tanner caro uh, marion sudanich even but i would say that after you get through those guys that's when you get to the next level of you know maverick bork has had an incredible season in the AHL. And it's almost, it's a story in two parts. His first half of the year was fine, but he wasn't doing the things that make him a good hockey player. He was, you know, being more tentative with the puck. He um, was being bumped off the puck by just the bigger guys and just the, the, the pace and speed of the play wasn't there. He came back from Christmas break and was a different player. Uh, and he has had an incredible sort of ascent across since since January into the playoffs. Uh, he's top five scorer for the Texas Stars. He had 47 points this year. Uh, he earned a lot of time on top top line uh, with Riley Barber and Tanner Caro to help you know help his game. And then he's actually rotated off that line. And other players have been pub, have been put in that spot to elevate their offensive game. Guys like Antonio Stranges, who I will note that we talked about in the first podcast as we were getting started this year. And we mentioned Stranges as a guy who was going to be have an interesting story. Was his game going to translate? And it took him almost all year in Idaho to make it through. But now he is being an impact. He is an impact player, uh, you know, when he's in the lineup for the AHL. Uh, and and that's that's an interesting storyline also with his development. Now, I don't think he's he's ready for the NHL next year. It might be another couple of years for him. But that development curve um, has been good for him. The other one I'll mention is Mate Blumel, who had a scary injury happen to him a couple weeks ago uh, in, in a game. And they were stretchered off the ice. He has returned to play, which is incredible, and hoping that his you know play continues to develop. He had a really got shot out of a cannon at the beginning of the season, but the back half of the season it didn't have as much uh, of, of that shot out of the cannon type of effect. So we, we'll see what kind of playoffs he has uh, to round out his first rookie season here in America. I mean, the one thing that, you know, I agree, shot out of a cannon early on. The the thing that I found really interesting with Blumel was with him on the on the number one power play unit with, with him and Barber on the on the two wings. That was an incredible unit. 
and and continues to be so. I mean, both of them are just in, great snipers, and and all Butcher just decides which side is being overloaded, and he goes to the other side, and and, and a sniper comes in. Yeah, it's and, it's and, incredible. Uh, the power play has been not as good in the back half of the season, but they were really great in the first half of the season before teams had figured out what they were doing. Um, like you said, Butcher was able to just distribute to whoever was, was cocked and ready to go. And um, just some, some incredible power play goals were scored between that pairing. It's, it's spoiled for riches on the power play for the Texas stars. Now, do you see, do you see Texas kind of pulling things in a little bit more on the, on the power play and maybe even the penalty kill? Uh, special teams because they they've been rolling a lot of guys through, but in the playoffs, do you think they're going to get that down to some pretty tight units? I mean, you'll certainly have your preferred, you know, guys. Um, I think part of the team philosophy, talking to the coaching staff, is that anyone could play that PK role. You know, not anyone, but you know, they want a lot of guys to have that tool in their tool bag. And if you've shown your facility with it during the regular season, the playoffs, you know, you're not going to get that taken away from you in the playoffs. That's the opportunity to truly show what you what you're made of. And I think that 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 kind of goes with the four line philosophy that they have. I think they'd love to get, obviously, in the power play a little bit more of like a set group and and make sure that they have that group. Um, But I think that those. The PK philosophy is, is you know, like you said, Ben Gleason is playing PK minutes. They're not going to stop playing Ben Gleason on the PK in the playoffs. I think that that will just continue to be part of, of what they do because it's made them good and successful throughout the regular season. Yeah, and here, I think may, maybe this is just my hope. I would love to see Butcher run run power play one and Gleason run power play two. I think those those are the two guys who are the most dynamic at the point. And I think just like Dallas has needed their power play, I think Texas is going to need their power play in the playoffs. And those are the guys who really make it happen. Especially with the differential on their penalties that they take. It's they're they're going to likely have more power play opportunities than their opponents. So that's the opportunity to really twist the knife and and score power play goals. Because power plays, yeah, they can shift momentum and these sorts of things on their own without scoring, but you got to score. The other thing to note is, you know, coming back to, to Ryan Shea, he could be an option too if Gleason or Butcher can't go uh, as that, that top guy on the umbrella. Um, so a lot of options there at the point for them, you know, even without Thomas Harley. Yeah, I, this was maybe a... a battle I was losing, but everybody was always saying, oh, Harley needs to be on the power play. And Harley's Harley's probably the third or fourth option at best at Texas. I mean, I understand that he can be dynamic offensively, but he's not necessarily the puck distributor that you uh, that you see in some of these other guys. Honestly, I mean, we, we just talked about this a second ago. He's better in transition than he is standing still, yeah. right? And so you, you want a guy like Will Butcher, as we mentioned, standing still, watching the scene, seeing it develop, and distributing the puck. But if you have a rush up the ice, you want Thomas Harley out there figuring out, okay, who am I going to hit in stride to go in and, and make this offensive chance turn it into a goal? Um, so, yeah, it's 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 interesting because you have that bias of like, oh, offensive guy equals power play point man. That's not always the case. Yeah, it was always a question, I think, up at Dallas as well. You know, I don't know if it was very, very often stated, but when when you lose Klingberg and you uh, and you bring in Haskinen, Haskinen 
is kind of a transition guy, or at least he was pegged as a transition guy. And you never know how that's going to translate into your, your, your guy at the tip of the umbrella. Yeah, absolutely. But Texas has had a great set of, of guys, um, you know, on forward that they can, they can distribute to, or can be distributors. Riley Barber's played that other point as well when they kind of shift to having a little bit more of like a, uh, traditional power play setup. Um, Tanner Caro, like there's a lot of guys in there that they can rotate through who are strong offensive presences. You know, Riley, you get Riley Tufty in front of the net, Curtis McKenzie in front of the net, old school, like uh, the 13-14 team. There's a lot of different options that they have. And, um, you know, I think the power play can stand to activate a little bit more. Uh, and they'll they'll try to do that in the playoffs as, as those, hopefully the penalty differential will start to um, really bear out uh, in the goal scoring. How how does the physicality work with this team? Um, they certainly have some guys who, uh, who who can rough it up a little bit um, compared to the rest of the of the central division here. Where what are we going to see? I'd say Texas was worried that Iowa was going to be the team coming into the play play in round because of their physicality, and they were going to ramp it up in the playoffs. And I would say that you know Texas a lot like. You know, a lot of teams, Dallas does this. You you don't really have as much of like a pugilist on the team or anybody who's like big, heavy body. You just got, you just outskate them, you outplay them, you out offensive them, right? Um, Dallas and Texas, Texas does this. I don't think it's necessarily going to be a disadvantage. I think a lot of teams, uh, they've obviously had success through the regular season with it. Yeah, guys are going to be finishing their checks more and all those sorts of things that you say in in the playoffs. But I think that this team has set themselves up well with rolling four lines and the speed that they've developed, the passing game and, and those things that we've been discussing, that they uh, it's not going to matter as much, right, the, the physicality of it. Um, but hey, as we said earlier, if you get Jared Rosberg back, that'd be great to have him back if the phys- physicality does pick up. Yep. And, and I mean, Rosberg has skills, too. So it's a, he's, he's kind of a neat little uh, neat little peg there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he fits a lot of different uh, roles. So, uh, what what are, what are your thoughts here? You you know, Texas it, Texas doesn't win the Central very often. Uh, when they do, they tend to do fairly well. What are your thoughts and feelings with this uh, team going forward? Do they have a deep run in them? I think they do, but no team in their path is an easy out. Rockford, they they were pretty even with Rockford through the season series. They've got some really strong players that have come down from the Blackhawks, as we discussed. If they win that that best of five series, that's going to be a big a big thing. Then the next round, Milwaukee. That's a great great team. They're well coached, and as we said, they have a lot of people coming down from Nashville. So that's going to be a hard out. Or hey, if Manitoba manages to beat Milwaukee, well, wow, that's going to be a really good team that's going to be coming um, in the second round. And then Mark, as you know, the Pacific Division that they'd be playing against is. I mean, at the top, just ridiculous. The Calgary Wranglers have Dustin Wolf, who won not only the best goalie of the year in back-to-back years, he also this year won the MVP. And they were going back and forth all year with Coachella for who was going to have the best record in the entire league. And Calgary ended up winning that. But Coachella could just as easily come out of the of the West, of uh, the Pacific, and be just as hard and out. I, I think whoever comes out of the West is going to be incredibly battle-tested. Uh, and I think every single round is going to be difficult. Nothing is a walk, as some of them have been in the past. When Texas played Rockford the first year, they beat them in four. Um, it was a seven-game series, and, and Jamie Benn and, and that team uh, just completely stomped the, the Ice Hogs in four uh, you know, future 
uh, Blackhawk Corey Crawford in net, by the way, for that particular playoff run. And uh, I don't think there's an easy out this year. It's a really, really strong division and a strong conference. Uh, but if they can go deep, which I think they can, it's going to be worth every single every single drop of blood spilled and every single drop of sweat. It's so interesting in the AHL because you have so much divisional play. And, and Texas did get out and play a few Pacific teams. And to tell you the truth, you know, Coachella Valley was maybe the they they were they were good games, but Coachella Valley didn't match up very well against Texas. It seemed to me, um, my, I had, they had a lot more there, trouble in, in with San Jose. <laughs> yeah, my thought there honestly is the Pacific Division this year has been very uh, top and bottom heavy. Coachella and Calgary, for those who don't know, um, Coachella is Seattle's affiliate and Calgary is Calgary's affiliate. They're sharing a, you know a city. They were above seven hundred winning percentage all year. But then in order to, to achieve that, they're beating up on some of the lower teams, the San Jose and San Diego, who have, you know, not only sub 500, but sub 400 uh, in some case win percentages. And so the central division has been a lot flatter. Texas, yes, did have a, a winning percentage above 600. But on the very last weekend of the season, the four, five and six teams were all gunning for a final playoff spot. So the only team that was actually out of it was the Grand Rapids Griffins, which is a Detroit affiliate. Otherwise, everyone else was either in or had a chance to be in with 24 hours left to go in the regular season. So that's it's a very flat and, uh, you know, comparatively equal type of type of setup in the Central Division. So lots of battle tested times for, for Texas just within their own division. Yeah, and and it, what's interesting to me watching so much Central Division hockey, but then then also paying some decent amount of attention to the people as they come through Coachella Valley, is that the Pacific plays a different style of hockey than the than the Central does, and so it's not just a matchup of teams, but it's a contrast of styles. There's there's uh, there's a lot more grit I think in the in the Central than there is out in the Pacific, and and. Texas was able to take advantage of that on some of their matchups when they played the Pacific. Yeah. And this is, you know, the traditional thing where if you don't see a team a lot, you don't know what you're going to get. You have no idea, you know, that, that first game is a feeling out process, all those sorts of cliches. Um, it's definitely true, especially in, when you get to the Calder cup final, where remember these teams, uh, Texas has played only a handful of Eastern conference teams in their entire history and most of those were in Calder Cup finals because otherwise these teams don't cross conference a lot. Texas didn't play any Eastern Conference teams this year at all. And most Western Conference teams don't. Um, the only time where that happens is maybe Grand Rapids goes and plays, you know, Toronto or something like that, because that's a quick uh, trip for them. But otherwise, there isn't a lot of cross conference play. And so when you play these teams for the first time, it could be a real interesting setup for, for teams uh, jumping into the Calder Cup final, having absolutely no tape between the two teams. No, it was weird because, what, a couple of years ago, Texas had a had a home and home with Laval or something like that. Exactly. Um, just just kind of scheduled out of the blue. Um, home and home yeah, with yeah. Laval and yeah. uh, home and home with Wilkes-Barre Scranton, who's the Penguins affiliate, but otherwise pretty one-off. Well, should be should be a good setup. I, I personally, having watched a lot of it, I'm incredibly worried about Calgary. Uh, Dustin Wolf is the real deal, um, and, and that's a that's a solid team, and it's a Calgary affiliate, so they have all their NHL guys down too. So they're they're yeah. gonna be tough to beat. 
but it's, it's, there's a lot it's of hockey a, to play. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of hockey to play, but it's the Texas Stars have been uh, very lucky over the past 15 years that they have had a lot of winning seasons. And, you know, it's it's one of those things where it's ingrained in the culture of the team. They have in the locker room there the we win here written on the wall since day one. And they've borne it out, right? That first year they went to the final. Four years later, four years later, they've won one. They've gone to three, hoping for a deep run this year. It is that is something that is part of the culture there. You don't get that with every AHL team. So the Dallas Stars are very lucky to have that just three hours down the road at Cedar Park. Yeah, and you know we we're kind of burying the lead here. Uh, you you mentioned we win here. Uh, you and uh, you and Sean Shapiro have a uh, have a book that's out here in the last two weeks. Pretty much, uh, well, I, I I'm I'm not I'm drawing a blank on the uh, on the subtitle, but it's pretty much everything that if you're a Texas Stars fan, you should ever need to know about this team to date. Absolutely. So we win here, which, as I mentioned, is on the on the locker room wall there in Texas is the title of the book. And the subtitle, as you mentioned, is the definitive essays you need about the Texas Stars. Uh, So, yeah, Sean and I, you know, Sean covered the team from 2012 until uh, 2017 or so, but obviously kept covering the team as a Dallas writer for both the NHL, uh, NHL NHL.com and The Athletic while he was uh, in Dallas. And, you know, there are certain stories that just never get told about the AHL. And we would go to uh, anybody listening in Cedar Park knows that that next to the arena, there's a a BJ's brew house. um, And it's the only thing that's open late in Cedar Park after the games are over. And so when Sean would come down for games, we'd go grab a beer afterwards and we'd tell these stories, you know, oh gosh, remember that one time when so-and-so happened or we'd philosophize about the way the AHL should be set up or why it isn't set up whatever way. And then we'd joke and say, man, we should write this down someday. And then we just order another beer. And and we finally decided to write the book. Um, and so it's 12 essays about things that concern the Texas Stars, but also the Dallas Stars. I mean, there's stories in here about how uh, I think one of the most interesting ones for Texas, uh, for Dallas fans, is an entire story about how Jack Campbell had to fail so that Jake Ottinger could succeed with the Dallas Stars. And we talk up there about why the uh, why the team had to learn how to set up a goalie for success at the AHL level so that Jake Ottinger, when he was drafted and when he got here to Texas and played and eventually ended up being the man of the future for the Dallas Stars, all of the infrastructure was there for him. And we go a little bit behind the scenes on on what was happening there at the AHL level, the stuff that you may not have seen in between all the you know, assignments to the Idaho Steelheads and the eventual trade to the Kings organization. Um, there was a lot of stuff there that happened behind the scenes. And um, a number of other things, the final the final dispatch on the Honka Wars, of course, which is always super important to, to Dallas Stars fans, and an entire essay that I wrote about uh, Jamie Benn and his time here in 2010, uh, going to the Calder Cup Finals that first year as, as a rookie. Really fun to go back and, and think about that. And if you ever get a chance, just Google Jamie Benn, the AHL, to look up a rather hilarious photo of a baby-faced Jamie Benn compared to what he is nowadays, the grizzled veteran with a thousand games and the, the longtime captain of the stars. Yeah. And uh, it, it, it's kind of neat just taking that stroll down memory lane and there, there are names out there that you haven't thought of for 10 years. And then, then all of a sudden you're dropped into the inside scoop of what's going on. So uh, wonderful stuff. If you, uh, if you have a chance, you're a Dallas stars fan, you're a Texas stars fan, uh, Pick up the book. It's a it's a nice read. The 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 essays you can kind of pick it up and and kick out an essay pretty quick, um, but kind of gives you a nice little warm fuzzy feeling. And and 
to, to tell you the truth, the the, the, the forward that uh, Kenzie wrote, I, I thought was was incredibly poignant and uh, kind of gave you a feel for the type of organization that that, that we have with the Texas Star. I I have I can't say enough about what Curtis McKenzie wrote. You know, to give everyone sort of a behind the scenes of what usually happens when you see a forward written by an athlete, generally whoever is writing the book goes and interviews the athlete and says, hey, you know, I was thinking maybe you could talk about X and Y and maybe you ask him a couple questions like tell me about your time in Cedar Park and why you decided to come back here and all those sorts of things. And then you ghost write something for them. And so that's what I did. Right. I wrote I interviewed Curtis in the tunnel after practice one day and then I, I ghost wrote 500 words for him and I sent it to him in a Google Doc. And Hey, Curtis, can you read this over? Just give me your thumbs up. And he took a day. He took another day and I messaged him and he said, I actually I, I have more that I want to say. And I'm just, I'm formulating my thoughts. I'm formulating my thoughts. And literally Sean and I are watching Curtis McKenzie write in the Google Doc what he, what this team means to him. And the words that he wrote, like most of what I wrote was obliterated. Those are Curtis's words, which is very rare for a forward. And I thought it was incredibly well-written. He talks about how he decided to forego other NHL opportunities or perhaps going to Europe to come back to play for this team because it has meant so much to him and his family. And reading it in his own words, I mean, Sean and I read it over. I, I, I narrated it to him to the phone, over the phone when we got it, finally from Curtis in final form. And we were both just dumbstruck with how well-written, poignant, and meaningful it was. You don't get a forward like that in most books where the forward is written by, you know, an athlete or a celebrity or something like that. And, um, it was really, really important and, and meaningful to us that we have a player speak about what the team meant to them. And I don't think we could have picked a better uh, person to represent the team. Fully agree. Um, anything else you want to hit here? Have, have we missed anything? Or are we ready for the playoffs? Well, first of all, if you want to get the book, it is when we win We'll take you to the Amazon listing. You can get it in physical form. It's about 150 pages uh, with photos and, and, and such on the front. Uh, or you can get it in Kindle form and get it right away. Um, but it's Amazon Prime shipping, so it'll get to you in two days on Amazon. So wewinhere.com. Of course, come and check us out, 100degreehockey.com, to check out everything in the playoffs. If you're craving a little bit of hockey on the usual you know, day-on, day-off schedule, uh, go check out uh, the AHL game uh, out in Rockford. It'll be on all the usual places. Watch the AHL.com. And I'm hoping, uh, Mark knows that every once in a while I jump in on color commentary for the Texas Stars. So if you tune into any Texas Stars games, hopefully you'll hear my voice uh, jumping in in between goal calls and, and, and big hits and all those sorts of things with uh, John Peterson, the voice of the Texas Stars. Yeah, it'd be nice. I, I know I, I was I was with Jared Rosberg skating again. He can't take over your job now. So uh, so hopefully we get you back behind the mic. Yeah, that's right. I think when that when the player wants to jump in and offer commentary, he's far more qualified than almost anyone else could be. So we, we ceded that role to him. Um, but now that he's skating, he gets to he gets to be part of that whole situation. And and as we mentioned, hopefully he, he comes to health and is part of a, a long playoff run all the way into June. I couldn't agree more. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Stephen. Uh, for listeners, uh, go ahead, uh, download us, uh, rate us highly if you like it. Uh, otherwise, uh, enjoy the playoffs. And we go long enough, hey, we may do this again. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me on, Mark. And uh, like I said, if, if you want to go check out the Texas Stars, it's always a grand time and hoping to go deep this year. So thanks for having me on.
This podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.